you're uh, new to Blacknall, I want to welcome you. We're glad you're with us. Uh, I'm Mark Hutton. I'm the interim pastor here. Uh, and I know that when, when I came to Blacknall back in December, I had lots of questions. And if you're new here, you may have lots of questions as well. There's lots of folks who can answer the question. Anybody that you've seen up here this morning uh, can answer a question. In a few minutes, you'll meet Becky. She can answer lots and lots of questions. In fact, if you are serving right now as an elder or a deacon or a member of staff, would you stand so that if there's anybody here visiting, they can see who you are and answer any questions that you might have. So these are the folks, you can grab them and say, hey, I have a question, where do butterflies go when it rains? And they can answer that question. <laughs> so thank you. There's also a little black uh, folder at the end of the pew. If you'll take that at some point uh, in a moment, it's probably give you something to do during the sermon. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, but uh, fill that out and pass along. It kind of helps us uh, keep in touch with each other. A few weeks ago, we started a new series in, uh, in the psalm, the summer psalm series. Uh, and last week, <clears throat> we took a short break from that uh, to hear from Brad. But we're going to pick back up in Psalm 13 this morning. And I'd like to ask you all to read it with me. I know we, uh, I haven't done that since I've been here. I actually had you all read the text with me. But we're going to put it up on the screen uh, you can follow along in your pew Bible. We're actually using the NIV this morning uh, for a particular reason, uh, and, but we're going to read this together. So if you will, let's read Psalm 13 aloud together. Will you all join me reading this psalm? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, I'd ask that you, by your spirit, would do the work that you long to do in all of us. That nothing that I would say or do or nothing I've said or done or left unsaid or undone would in any way hinder the work of your spirit. I ask, Lord, as the psalmist did, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the awesome name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Once upon a time, I, I, uh, my family and I, we lived in Birmingham, Alabama, where I served uh, a small church there. I had only been at that church really for a couple of weeks, uh, and two ladies approached me one Sunday morning and asked if I would join them that week to go visit a woman named Rhea. Uh, and uh, she uh, had just celebrated her 96th birthday a short time before, and she wanted to meet me. Uh, and spend some time. And these two ladies, uh, they were setting me up. Uh, they, all they told me about Rhea was that I was about to experience one of the greatest blessings of my life and that I would never forget get meeting with Rhea. And they were absolutely spot on. I mean, that was in 2005, and uh, I'm still talking about Rhea. Um, later that week, I found myself standing at Rhea's front door being greeted by this incredibly joyful uh, lady who spoke with a very heavy German accent, even though she had been in the Deep South since the 1940s. 
Uh, Rhea met me with an enormous smile and this beaming and this joy in her eyes. It was uh, electric. And she hugged me. So she was this little lady, but she, uh, she just grabbed me and hugged me just so tight and then kissed me on both cheeks. I am not a hugger. Uh, I, I'm awkward. And, uh, and so I, I melted I, immediately when she did that. Uh, I just, it was this amazing embrace. Uh, and I, whenever I visited with her, I looked forward to the kiss on each cheek and this hug from this wonderful woman. I immediately loved Rhea. As I made my way into her sitting room, I noticed on the wall uh, what I thought first were these uh, paintings. They're these really nice framed. And then as I got closer, I realized that they, that they were uh, not paintings, but they were cross-stitched uh, scenes that I can only describe as tapestries. They were incredible. And I, of course, made a comment about these. There was a couple of them in the room. Uh, and these, the women who took me there said, immediately said, oh, Rhea did those. Uh, Rhea was a little bit uh, shy or bashful about her talent, and so she said, oh, that's just something that my mother and grandmother taught me to do. And then she said, but, and she held up her hands, and I hadn't really noticed her hands before, and I can immediately see the ravages of arthritis had taken her hands. And she said, but, I haven't been able to do that for a very long time. And then she was quick to say, but, but the Lord is good to me because I still have these two fingers and I can hold a pencil and do crossword puzzles. I love crossword puzzles, she said. That's how I really learned English. The Lord has been good to me. Uh, over the next uh, few hours, uh, I would hear that refrain over and over again. But the Lord has been good to me. It was beautiful, especially as over the next little while, I heard more and more of Rhea's story. The ladies who were with me prompted her, Rhea, tell Mark about where you grew up. Tell Mark about this. And so I sat there riveted. I'm still riveted by Rhea's story. She was born in Germany in 1908 uh, and lived through two world wars. Their lives were forever marked. She was born into this uh, pretty large Christian family. Uh, and the First World War came through and uh, devastated her family. Many of her family members, including her beloved brother, were killed in World War I. Uh, after that, when she was still in her, uh, her late teens, because of everything that was going on, she, uh, she, had to go to, she went to Holland. And uh, she went to Holland and began to work in a cafe there. And that's where she met her husband, Henry, who she uh, loved deeply. In fact, when she, when she said, and that's where I met Henry, and the Lord is good to me. And uh, she, she talked about, he was a tool and die man. He was a, he was a real craftsman, that one, she said. And they got married when she was 20 years old. They met in this cafe where she worked. But early in her marriage, she found out that she couldn't have children, which was devastating. And then she followed that up immediately by saying, the Lord has been good to me. Um, her marriage, though, to Henry was interrupted by the rise, of course, of Hitler and his ilk. And when the Germans invaded Holland, uh, Rhea and Henry had to go into hiding. Uh, Rhea was a, a, a German Christian woman married to a Jewish man. And so they spent the entirety of that occupation uh, in hiding in one place or another. In various places and times, they were separated from one another. And there were months and weeks and times when she didn't know if Henry was coming back or not, if he was dead or alive. And she talked about um, crying out to the Lord in those moments. And she said, but the Lord was good to me because they survived. Eventually, she and Henry made their way to the U.S. and found their way 
to Birmingham, Alabama, where there was a pretty large, actually, German population. But uh, Henry got a job in some of the iron and steel mills in, in Birmingham. But after a short while in Alabama, he died. And Rhea found herself living in Birmingham, Alabama as a German widow. Uh, didn't really speak English, didn't know a soul, uh, and she was devastated and lost. And she said, but the Lord is good to me. There were some people uh, who were neighbors who actually invited her to church. She started attending church with them. She met some people there who owned a pharmacy whose mother needed some help who had also immigrated from Germany. And she was, uh, so Rhea was able to go and take care of this woman who became like her second mother, poured her life into this woman and loved her deeply. But in a short while, she passed away. And she said once again, but the Lord was good to me. She married one of the brothers who owned the pharmacy they had a, a great and happy marriage for many, many years until he passed, and she said, but the Lord is good to me. I sat for this time and just listened to this woman, this joyous woman, pour out all she had done. I sat in awe listening to her. These, uh, this story of loss and longing, of pain, of sorrow, of things I can't even imagine that she went through in her lifetime. And I thought to myself, how is this lady, how is she not angry or bitter or resentful after all she's lost and all this longing that she had was unfulfilled. How is she not bitter and angry? I've met people, you've met people, Christian people who haven't gone through a, a, an nth of what Rhea went through and they are angry and bitter and resentful and full of self-pity. But the Lord was good to me. That's what she said over and over. I wondered how. When I read Psalm 13, I can't help but think of Rhea. Um, in fact, as I listen to her stories, as I rethink re about them now, as I recount them, I sort of hear this refrain that follows Psalm 13, which we read a moment ago. It, like Rhea, removes from complaint to prayer to praise. Rhea did the same thing as I recount her story. She did that over and over again. And it was kind of tied together with this quiet confidence in God's unfailing love, which is seen so clearly in the ways that God has been good to us. Let me see if I can connect these dots with Psalm 13. Uh, Psalm 13 begins in a complaint, but it's a complaint that is addressed to God. The psalmist writes, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? We have no idea what was going on in the life of David when he penned these words. And that's probably for the best because it helps us then to be able to apply it more easily to our own circumstances. Many of us try to avoid complaining and yet the psalmist just opens right up with it. Four times he sort of lays out this complaint. How long? How long? How long? But there's something really important here that's tied into that word Lord. It's a relationship. The word that's used there is, the, is this more intimate word for God. This Lord sense it conveys this sense of a, of a close, intimate relationship, which is key to this whole thing. Because first of all, God knows how we act when we're desperate. And God can hear us when we're desperate in ways. The things that we say to God in our desperation are different when, when we're just having a great day. But in our desperation, he can hear that out of this relationship. There's another thing to remember, too. 
something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. All of these texts, in fact, the Old Testament texts, are best understood out of this sense of God's covenant promises to his covenant people. It's an important thing, and that's all linked to God's love for us. And so David addresses the Lord in this intimate language in the form of a complaint. He can do that. So can we. It's God-directed language. And he wonders, how long, Lord? How long will you forget me and hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle in my head and be depressed and sorrowful and have this enemy, this thing, gloat or hang over my head? The idea of to forget or hide the face is as if God is withholding his blessing and his presence. When God remembers someone, it means that he acts on their behalf in accord with what he remembers. When God forgets, it means that he does not come to their aid. And that's how he feels abandoned. The psalmist wondered if things would ever change. You could almost read it like, how long will you continue to forget me? How long will you hold your blessing? It's another idea that's tied in there. It's the opposite of what you hear sometimes at the end of the service from number 6, 24 to 26, right? Number 24 to 25, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. That idea, that idea of God's blessing that comes out of numbers, it's the opposite of that because the, the psalmist isn't feeling that sense of God's face shining upon him so much so that he can't get a handle on his thoughts. There's something going on that's plaguing him and he can't get his handle on what he's thinking and he's wrestling with it day and night over and over again and it's making him sorrowful and maybe even depressed. I've done that, you've done that, deeply troubled by everything that's going on and it feels like God is perhaps at the beach and he's troubled by all this. So much so that he's thinking about his enemy, whoever that may have been, that they will gloat over him because if something doesn't change, he's going to die, which is what he brings up in this next part. The fact that this psalm is here and that it's written uh, to the director of worship is an indicator that it's for God's people. It was to be read and sung within worship. You imagine that, right? One theologian put it this way to help us understand he wrote, the fact that it was deposited in the sanctuary for the Levitical choirs to sing indicates that it was written for the purpose of encouraging other afflicted believers who felt abandoned by God and at their wit's end. Ever been there? And not simply to remind people of an event in the psalmist's life. There were many who needed encouragement, for they too found themselves crying to God, How long, O Lord? The thing is, though, <clears throat> it would be easier to sit right here. And, and verse 1 and 2, right? Because it's easier to complain. It's easier to sit right there, how long, O oh Lord, and just lay it out and complain. But the great thing about the psalm is that it's intended to teach us. As we want to know Jesus, as we want to know him in a deeper way, we want to know what it means to walk with God, this psalm moves us. It doesn't allow us to sit in our complaints. Because when we do, we tend towards bitterness and self-pity. The psalm is teaching us that we move from complaint, and the psalmist moves from complaint to prayer might be hard, but it's moving us in this direction. He doesn't stay there. And so he moves in verse 3 and 4 to this prayer that's based out of this complaint that he has. And he asks God to look, to answer, and to give light. And he does so for two reasons. Look on me, he said, and answer me. He's asking God to look on my situation. And not only look at it, but answer me, act, do something about it. In fact, he says, give light to my eyes, which is like this idea of bringing full health physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, full health and restoration. Because, he says, if you don't, there are two things that will happen. The first is, I will die. That's what tells us that David is wrestling with something 
something serious. Maybe it's an illness. Whatever it is, it is on the, he's on the verge of death, and it is very serious. And he is crying out to God, give look, answer, give light to my eyes, or I will die. And if I die, he gives us the second thing. If I die, my enemies will rejoice. They will worship, but not you, God. They will rejoice over me and say he has been overcome as if God couldn't deliver him. He's laying this out there. One theologian said this. The point is that David is a faithful believer in the Lord. The triumph of his enemies over him would be hailed by them as a triumph over David and his faith. David's appeal is that if God did not want them to rejoice, perhaps in a worship setting, then he would have to answer the prayer. You'll notice that this prayer is specific, comes out of this, this complaint that he has. And he's moving out of this complaint into this prayer. And it's really important. And he's crying out. But the result of the prayer is that the psalmist then can then move, oddly enough, from complaint to prayer to praise. What a weird progression. But it moves the person who is in this moment to this sort of thing. Verse 5 and 6 is this response to David's enemy, in a sense. The verse of 3 and 4 that he talks about. If they're going to worship, he says, he says, and you can do that, but he responds, if they, rejo- if they re- rejoice, David doesn't re- recover, no matter what he says, but I trust, I trust in your unfailing love. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. In light of what the enemy says, he's going to trust in God's unfailing love. That word, unfailing love, that phrase is uh, from my favorite Hebrew word, and, and that is the word hesed. Many of you have heard that word before, hesed. It's a powerful, powerful, full Hebrew word. And sometimes it's translated unfailing love like it is in the NIV. Sometimes it's steadfast love like it is in the ESV. Sometimes it's loyal love. And it's because, like, it is so huge, like Goody was talking about a moment ago, about this idea, this concept of God's love, this hesed, is massive. So much so that we have a tough time just sort of wrapping our arms around it and fully sort of expressing it. Perhaps one of the best ways that I've heard it was from the Storybook Bible. Have you guys seen the Storybook Bible? I love the Storybook Bible. But it describes hesed as the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's a great idea of what hesed means. And Psalm 13 is this short psalm. It's only six verses. But what a massive move from how long, O Lord, to I will trust and his unfailing love. What a massive move, spiritually, emotionally, even physically, this move from complaint to prayer to praise. I think the key here, though, is this confidence, this trust in God's unfailing love for us. It's this key move that David makes. But how does he do it? How do we do it? Because this is hard. The move from complaint to prayer and praise, it it isn't out of our will. It isn't that we're just going to have this resolve and this attitude to do it. I resolve that I'm, just, I'm going to move from complaint to prayer to praise. No, that's not what the psalmist does. What he does is he says, my confidence is in God's unfailing love. It's not about David. It's about God's love for him that he understands. But this putting this into practice isn't easy. When we're sitting in a situation where we where the world is turned upside down and we, and we wonder where the Lord is, it's difficult then, right, in those moments when we feel life pressing in. How do I trust in God's unfailing love? I wasn't sure why Rhea kept saying, kept punctuating her life story with, the Lord's been good to me. The Lord's been good to me. 
I wasn't sure why she did that. And then I realized why she did it. Because the Lord had been good to her. And it was this constant evident to her all through her life of God's unfailing love. The psalmist does the same thing. He ends in this sort of way. He trusts in God's unfailing love because he's seen that God has been good to him over and over again. The situation may not even be resolved yet, but he's going to trust in God's unfailing love because God has been good to him so much so that he is going to sing God's praises no matter what. It means having that sort of confidence in what God's going to do because of what God has already done, what he's promised he will do, and based on God's character. Rhea was able to look back over her life, even the terrible moments, and see God's goodness. So much so that at 96 years old, she could hold up two fingers and say, God has been good to me because I still have these two fingers to do crossword puzzles. And there was joy there. A lot of folks would be bitter and angry about that. But somehow, Rhea was not. She had gone from complaint to prayer to praise, even in my conversation with her. And it was beautiful and wonderful, and I've never forgotten it, and I wish that I could emulate it more often than I do. I understand that this psalm is asking a lot of us. Some of you are going through really tough and difficult moments and times, and it might be tough in those times, especially if you feel that God has checked out, wondering where he is. But this psalm is calling us to remember and to trust in God's hesed, his unfailing love, and his goodness to us. And in particular dark moments, it might be hard to pull that up. I encourage you in those moments to remember that God's greatest display of his unfailing love and his greatest goodness to us is seen most clearly in the person of Jesus. In fact, John 3 is pretty clear that God loves us so much that he sent his own son into the world. And Paul picks up on that in Romans 5.8 when he says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us so that we could have peace with God peace with one another, peace within ourselves. And Paul picks up on that again in his letter to the Ephesians when he doesn't want them to lose heart because of his suffering on their behalf. And he prays for them. He prays, he bows his knees, and he prays that God, according to his, the riches of his glory, may grant them to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love that, of Christ that surpasses knowledge. All of this leads me to ask you a question, a question that I think that's at the heart of understanding in Psalm 13 and navigating moments like the psalmist is sort of laying out. It, it moves us, I think, from complaint to prayer to praise. I want to ask you, how confident are you in God's love for you? How confident are you that God loves you? Are you stuck more in verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 13, or are you able to move from complaint to prayer to praise, able to see that God has been good to you because he loves you with an unfailing love that's made most clear through Jesus? Perhaps a quiet confidence in God's love that, God's love that leads to a deeper relationship with him so that we can even navigate these moments is what we need. As we think about what it means to know Jesus, what it means to walk with him, maybe that quiet confidence in God's love expressed through the goodness of coming of Christ is what we need the most. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we give you thanks for your hesed, seen most clearly through your son. And we ask, Lord, that you 
use it in our lives. We ask, Lord, that we would love you deeper and stronger, that we would be able to say, the Lord has been good to me all the time. I ask this in the powerful and the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, please rise and respond together with our setting for Psalm 13.